This is the Access Health Radio Question and Answer Show. Welcome to the Access Health Radio Show. I'm Dr. Brian Forrest, and this week we will be discussing questions that we've received so far over the last year and answers to them on Access Health Radio. I'm Mike Davis. Thanks for joining us. I always love this show because we get such great questions from our listeners, Dr. Forrest. Uh, Different format than what we usually do. We're not going to be focusing on just one topic today. Instead, we're going to be going over a multitude of those most asked questions that you have received. Uh, I see you have uh, your uh, mailbag there. You look like Santa Claus today, (laughs) so we're going to dive in right away. By the way, you can submit future questions for the show at accesshealthradio.com. So here's the first one, and I've heard something about this myself. I understand that there has been a change in the aspirin recommendations for heart disease recently. Can you tell us about that, Dr. Forrest? Yes, Mike. That's a uh, It's a big change. Uh, in fact, I think a lot of health professionals may not even know about it yet. Um, basically, in March of this year, uh, the American Car- College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association were looking at data from some of the new research that's just just concluded in the last year and after looking at all that research on aspirin you know lots of people been told over the years to take aspirin to prevent heart attacks and strokes Mm -hmm. basically these long-term studies uh showed that aspirin for people that had never had a heart attack or a stroke really wasn't beneficial. In fact, it showed that if you never had a heart attack or a stroke, that taking aspirin every day to prevent a heart attack or a stroke might actually be more harmful than helpful. Wow! And so they've dropped that recommendation. Now, that doesn't mean if your physician has told you to take aspirin or if you've had a heart attack or a stroke in the past and are on aspirin for prevention, that you should stop it. But if you're taking a baby aspirin every day just to prevent a heart attack or stroke and you've never had one of those happen before, you really should talk with your healthcare provider about if that's something you ought to continue because the general recommendation for the public now is that you not take baby aspirin to prevent heart attacks and strokes unless you've already had one of those. All right. Thanks, Dr. Forrest. By the way, he is Dr. Brian Forrest, board-certified family physician with Access Healthcare in Apex, North Carolina. Next question. Uh, And we've talked about this before. I'm glad it's come up again. What is the cheapest way for people to get their prescription drugs? And the answer, I think, is going to surprise a lot of folks. Well, it is. There's there's sort of several different ways. Um, you know, I actually have patients of mine that get one medication from one pharmacy. They get another prescription from a different pharmacy, and some of them might be mail order. And the reason I do that is I'm always trying to keep their out-of-pocket cost for medications as low as possible. And so sometimes it actually makes sense to get your medications from multiple sources. So I'll name a few, and then we'll talk about, you know, what's sort of tried and true. So the first is, uh, you know, generics, people know about generics, but what they might not know is that the pricing difference between generics amongst, you know, the common, you know, pharmacies in your local area ranges widely. Uh, there was actually a study done by Consumer Reports magazine where they sent actors out with prescriptions for the same drugs into 10 different pharmacy chains. And they found that from some of the, the membership club pharmacies like Costco and Sam's and stuff like that, uh, up to Walgreens uh, or CVS type stores, that the price for generic drugs, the same exact prescription, ranged from $33 for a month supply to 940 so that's a 30-fold increase in the price just based on whether you got it at 
you know, a big box chain uh, wholesale sort of membership club or whether you got it at a, you know, one of the corner retail pharmacies. So first of all, you need to know to shop around. So how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of websites out there now. There's some apps. Uh, the one that I am finding is the most useful. And part of that is because not only does it automatically locate you and find the, the lowest prices for drugs near you, but the other thing it does is it offers rewards. So people that get their medications through there, you kind of build up points and then people get things like gift cards and stuff. And it doesn't just work for prescription medications. It also works for medical supplies. And that one's called AHD, AHDRX.com. And I know that pretty soon, I think in the next two to three weeks, there's going to be an app on the iTunes store and on the Google Play store uh, that will also have that functionality. So we'll let people know about that once that's available. But uh, you can shop around on that on that. Uh, search engine, uh, and you can find the lowest price. And not only that, um, you know, that's if you're paying for your own drugs. But the other thing you have to think about is, can you not pay for the drugs? Well, some pharmacies uh, in our local area, one example is Publix Grocery Store, uh, some pharmacies have drugs absolutely for free. And people say, well, what's the catch? Well, there's really no catch. It's that some of these generic medications are truly so inexpensive that it, it's just good uh, public relations for the grocery store to provide these prescriptions for free to you. And then while you're there, you know, you might buy a loaf of bread. So, for example, antibiotics like amoxicillin, uh, blood pressure medicines, uh, you know, some other common things are available at Publix for free. I know Harris Teeter has had a program like that in the past where some of the more common drugs, things like metformin mm -hmm. uh, for diabetes, were also free. Uh, and then the other way to get medicine free is to apply for patient assistance through sites like needymeds.org. Needymeds.org has a, a list of all the applications for all the different drug companies. And you'd be surprised, you know, a family of four with some of these companies, as long as you're making under $100,000 a year, which most of us are, uh, it's going to basically make the, that medication totally free. Um, so search for generics. Uh, pay out of pocket when you can because sometimes paying out of pocket is cheaper than using your insurance, especially when you shop around and use search engines like ahdrx.com. Um, and you're probably going to get the best price that way. Okay, I want to follow up on something you just said. You said uh, sometimes medication uh, costs more when I use my insurance than if I didn't. Can you explain that? Yes, so there's a, uh, a common phenomenon now. Some people call it clawback. Uh, and what happens is if you use your insurance, you pay a copay. And that copay that you pay for the medication may actually be more than if you just walked into the pharmacy and said, I'm not using insurance, I'm paying cash. And it really shocks people because often it can be, you know, 50% less or more if you just pay cash than using your insurance. I know my own family's gotten caught up in this a few times where uh, there was a blood pressure medicine that on the uh, state employees plan with Blue Cross, you know, formulary or whatever, their copay was around $12. And if they just bought it cash, uh, they could get it for under $6 a month. And so don't always assume that uh, your insurance company makes drugs cheaper. In fact, they may actually be uh, recouping some money there, and it may be costing you more to use your insurance than if you just you know went without it and, and paid cash. So keep that in mind. Wow, that is incredible. I want to stay with the insurance question for just a minute. With health insurance premiums getting so high, this listener asked, are there lower cost alternatives to health insurance? 
You know, there are, uh, this is something that we've personally been through at our office, look for our office staff on several occasions. We used to have sort of what people consider a traditional PPO plan for our employees at our office. Uh, those got so high uh, within a couple of years after the ACA passed that everybody wanted to change because even their contribution was so much, it, it got unaffordable. And so we started looking at different options. And what we found and what we found for patients as well, it also works really well with our practice model are what are called sharing plans. And uh, some of these are called, uh, you know, Christian medical sharing plans. Some of them are not religious. They don't have to, you don't have to have a religious affiliation to, to use them. But it works sort of like a big co-op. And what happens is everybody pays in their monthly amount. And then when somebody has a medical expense, they take the money that was pulled from everybody every month and they use that to pay that medical expense. And they don't, they don't call it having a deductible, but there's what's called an uninsurable or unshareable amount. And so, you know, for example, usually these are smaller than regular insurance, but it might be like $1,500 for the first $1,500 a year uh, that you spend, that's unshareable, meaning they're not going to help you cover that cost. But the premiums, if you want to call it that, on these sharing plans are significantly lower. In my personal example, again, this has been two or three years ago, uh, but my premiums were going to be over $650, $700 just for myself. And switching myself onto one of these plans called MediShare dropped it down to $149 a month. And my deductible was actually lower than my PPO plan had been. Uh, and now we're, you know, our office is using something else, but there's several of these plans uh, out there. There's one called Sidera. There's, uh, uh, there's MediShare we mentioned. There's Liberty Share. Uh, but look into those plans. They're a little different than traditional insurance, but they actually work like insurance was meant to, you know, years ago. You know, everybody pays in an amount, and then when somebody has something happen, they use that money to pay for it. You don't have, you know, executives at the top, you know, taking millions and millions of dollars off the top for profit. It's just everybody's paying in. It's sort of like you're an owner uh, and a participant in the plan. All right, Dr. Forrest, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Direct primary care, what is it and is it for you? That's one of the questions coming up when we continue here with Dr. Brian Forrest on Access Health Radio. It's the question and answer show today on Access Health Radio with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest. I'm Mike Davis. We're uh, pulling some of the most frequently asked questions uh, from the email bag, as it were. And uh, it's time to dive into our second batch of questions, Dr. Forrest. Uh, I saw in a recent issue of Consumer Reports magazine that they said switching to a direct primary care physician was one of the top five things you could do to improve your finances this year. Now, I know you're a direct primary care physician. Uh, tell us what that is and how does it save money for patients? Well, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, Consumer Reports Magazine, you know, I actually use them to figure out which car to buy and which refrigerator is the best and, you know, which washing machine is the most reliable. But every year they have an issue where they basically talk about, uh, you know, what are, what is their money advice for the next year? And so around the first of the year, they came out with a thing and there was the top five things you're, to do for the new year uh, to really help your finances. And I was actually surprised that one of those five was to pick a direct primary care physician and leave the traditional sort of go to a doctor's office where you pay your copay and let your insurance do the rest. I was surprised that they said, don't do that anymore. They basically said it's better for you to choose direct primary care. 
and pay this membership fee. Uh, and then basically when you go in, you're, you're just, your, your doctor is working for you instead of the insurance companies. Now, how does it save money? Well, there's several ways. The first off is, uh, the doctor's office that most people go to has really high overhead. You know, there's usually four to five staff per physician, uh, in an office. And that adds up to a lot of overhead cost. And those people's jobs, a lot of those folks, about 80% has to do with insurance, filing insurance, billing it, putting the right codes in and that type thing. And, you know, in direct primary care offices, they don't have that overhead. So they save about a quarter of a million dollars in overhead per physician per year. Well, if their overhead's lower, they can pass on that savings to their clients. And so uh, typically our services or direct primary care in general, uh, the charges are about 80% less uh, than what you typically would pay. Um, and on the other hand, since uh, in direct primary care, you know, you the doctors are not driven to see you more often or see more patients per day. They just sort of see you whenever you need to be seen, and they don't necessarily charge extra for that. Um, it makes it so the visits are longer. Well, why is that a good thing? Well, if you've ever been into an office and been run in and out in five minutes, uh, waited for an hour and been run out in five minutes, you're like, well, did I get all my questions answered? Did the doctor really have time to think about all my drug interactions and all the prescriptions I'm taking and, and look at that? And, you know, I, I would wonder that myself. And so I think when you have an hour per patient available to take time and go over those things and truly optimize the medical care, consider all those in-depth questions and also be able to spend time explaining things to patients really well. What's been shown is, and, and there's data that's getting ready to be published on this really soon, that, uh, and it's been published before, I think the last one was about 2010, where it said that uh, patients in this model end up in the emergency room a lot less, 65% less likely to end up in an emergency room if you're seeing a direct primary care physician. Uh, you know, that's a big deal. And if you're less likely to go to the emergency room, that means you're less likely to end up in the hospital. And that's going to save a ton of money for patients out of cost, uh, not just when they're seeing their doctor, but also, you know, when they have something really serious. I want to go back to uh, talking about prescriptions for a minute because we have another question about that. You've mentioned something in the past called prescription clawback on the show. Can you explain what that is? Well, we, we touched on that a little in that earlier question today. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really call it necessarily by that name or explain that, but here's sort of the, the nasty part about that. Uh, clawback, what it really refers to is if you use your prescription insurance for a drug and there's an upcharge, meaning you're getting charged more than you would have if you paid cash, that may actually benefit the insurance company. So in, in a weird way, the insurance company may be making money by the fact that you're having to pay more for a prescription if you use your insurance, which, you know, that's really seems sort of sinister in some ways. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's really what clawback refers to. It's a term that's sort of come about to say, look, it's a way for insurance companies to recoup part of their cost and their spend is to basically make it up on cheap medications where the copay that they charge you is actually much more than what the, the cost is for the drug. And that difference they can sort of take as clawback. You've also talked about uh, genetic testing for cancer on the show. I remember that one just recently, and we've got a question about it. So how should I know which test to get, and how much do they cost? 
So for genetic cancer testing, um, there was a lot of stuff a few years ago about Angelina Jolie. You know, she very famously had uh, breast cancer in her family, got tested for the BRCA gene, was positive, and she made the the really sort of extreme move to have a bilateral mastectomy to prevent her from getting breast cancer. And so since then, people have said, well, if I'm at high risk, if I if I have that gene, I want to know that. I want to be able to do something about it. And so there's there's a BRCA1 gene. There's another BRCA gene as well. Uh, but there's actually cancer genes now identified for uh, – just about every type of cancer. Uh, we have a panel that we run at our office that has 26 different cancer genes in it, uh, and it can test for uh, you know the genetic predisposition for all of those, including pancreatic cancer, uh, you know, uh, esophageal cancer, and some others. So, um, what I would say is, there, it's not right for everybody. So, if you're somebody and you've never had any cancer in your family. Well, that would tell you that the likelihood that you have a genetic predisposition to cancer is pretty pretty low. On the other hand, if you've got several people in your family, especially first degree relatives, uh, you know, moms, dads, sisters, brothers, uh, that kind of thing, that have had uh, cancer, then you really ought to consider getting tested. Now, cost-wise, these tests have been uh, historically incredibly expensive. So most of the people that were getting them were like Hollywood movie stars and people like that who didn't have a problem, you know, spending five or $6,000 on a test out of pocket. Uh, the prices have gotten a little better, but even as uh, recently as a year or two ago, just the BRCA gene was commonly being uh, gotten for about $450. Uh, we've actually uh, got a panel now, again, I think I mentioned it, that has uh, 26 of the cancer genes in it. Um, and all of those genes, including BRCA genes like Angelina Jolie got the BRCA1, BRCA2, and some of the other ones that also look for ovarian cancer, all of those 26 genes uh, we can do for patients for you know under $400 for the entire panel. Uh, and it used to be over $400 per genetic test. So uh, the cost has gotten better. Um, and But again, it's not right for everybody. All right, it's time now for our Access Health Tip of the Week. If you don't have insurance and you're looking for a place to have elective procedure like a knee replacement, hernia repair, or gallbladder removed, there's a facility in Oklahoma that can save thousands of dollars on the price of those surgeries, and they provide upfront total out-of-pocket cost information. I just had a patient this past week that found that they would do his hernia repair for 80% less than the local hospitals here, and that made it affordable. It made it a couple of thousand dollars versus over $20,000 if he'd done it locally. Now, the website there is surgerycenterok.com, and it stands for surgerycenteroflahoma.com. You can always just Google that, but it's Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and uh, we'll, we'll have a link to that on our landing page at accesshealthradio.com. But people sometimes will commonly spend $1,000 and they'll travel to Oklahoma, but they might save 19000 on their surgery. Straight ahead, our Access Health Radio Trivia of the Week. This is Access Health Radio with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest. We'd like to take a moment each week to thank the companies that support our program. Thanks to Marley Drug and Winston-Salem for supporting our show. They may order generic medications directly to your home with free shipping, often at costs that are even lower than the big box pharmacies. Check them out at marleydrug.com. 
All right, Doc, it's time for our Access Health Trivia of the Week. The number of people going to the Internet to search for health-related subjects is getting larger and larger. A new study says 80% of Internet users, or about 93 million Americans, have searched for a health-related topic online. That's amazing. That is, but doesn't surprise me. That's all the time we have this week, Doc. Our scripture from this week is Jeremiah 33, 6. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. Thanks for listening to the Access Health Show, and we look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health.